Anchor Church, how's everyone doing today? Man, it seems solemn in here. I think people are kind of sad that summer's over maybe, you know, back to the grind of school and probably no vacations. It's okay, we're in the house of the Lord this morning, okay? Yes, yes. If you are our guest this morning, welcome. My name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor. We're so glad you decided to worship with us. If you're worshiping online, welcome. Um, glad you decided to tune in. We are in a series called Relationships, and it's just focusing on our relationships with each other inside the church and, and what those are supposed to look like. And the first week we talked about being tied together, how, how God always intended us to be tied together. He never intended us to be individuals who attend church together. He intended us to be one body who's tied together in everything. And last week, Pastor Richard brought uh, a word, an awesome word about worshiping together and how we were created to worship God corporately. Um, worship's not just this private, personal thing. We're supposed to worship together, and, and that was a good word. And then today, I'm continuing in our relationship series, um, and we're going to talk about uh, my, my title. If you're taking notes, the title of today's sermon is simply this, Morning Together. And I'll get into what that means in a little bit, but um, I think it's important that we understand that, that God never intended our lives, any part of our lives, to be separate from each other. He always wanted us to be, like, tied together, right? That's why the first sermon was tied together. So but before I dive into Scripture today, I want to read a story I read to you, and that kind of, to me, illustrates this point. It says this, a professor at Harvard University once told the story of his five-year-old son working on an art project in his kindergarten class. It was made of plaster, resembled nothing in particular, but with some paint, sparkle, and, a time, and time in a kiln, it was ready to be wrapped as a gift. He wrapped it himself and was beside himself with excitement. It would be a gift for his father, one three months in the making. In early December, when the child could hardly contain the secret, the last day of school finally came. All the parents arrived for the big Christmas play, and when the students left for home, they were finally allowed to take their ceramic presents home. The professor's son secured his gift, ran toward his parents, tripped and fell to the floor. The gift went airborne, and when it landed on the cafeteria floor, the shattering sound stopped all conversations. For the five-year-old, there had never been a more expensive gift. He crumpled down on the floor next to the broken gift, and he started crying. People were watching. His son was crying. The professor just patted the boy on the head and said, son, it's okay. It doesn't matter. His wife glared at him. Oh, yes, it matters, she said to both of them. Oh, yes, it does matter. She cradled her son in her arms, rocked him back and forth, and cried with him. In a few minutes, the crying ceased. Now, said the mother, let's go home and see what can be made with what's left. So with mother's magic and a glue gun, they put together from the broken pieces a multicolored butterfly. Amazingly, the artwork after the tragedy was actually much more beautiful than what it had been in its pre-broken state. At Christmas, the gift was finally given. 
And as long as he had taught at Harvard, the professor kept the butterfly on his desk. It was a constant reminder that grief is real and that loss hurts. It was also a reminder that great beauty can eventually emerge when we mourn together. How do you mourn? Rhetorical question, you don't have to answer that out loud. How do you mourn? When tragedy strikes, how do you react? How do you respond? When you lose a loved one, when um, you get laid off, when you are having problems in your marriage, or um, when that diagnosis comes, or when you lose money, or you're dealing with loneliness, like, how do you respond? What do you do with your emotions? Who do you turn to? Where do you turn to? Do you keep it to yourself? Do you shut yourself off from the world? How do you respond when bad things happen in your life or when bad things happen to the people that you love? How, how do you respond? When disappointment strikes, many of us try to minimize the sorrow. Ah, it's not that bad. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, like, you know, like, maybe, maybe, like, you go through a breakup or like a divorce, ah, man, they just weren't the right one. You, you, you minimize the sorrow. And friends who try to help, they're friends trying to help, they actually can minimize the sorrow too. Just think like, oh man, like there's a better job waiting for you. You didn't need that job anyways. Or, um, you know, like just think it could have been, it could have been a lot worse. At least you have your health. Like we try to minimize the sorrow, right? But what about when the pain resurfaces? What about if the pain never goes away at all? Like, how do we respond in those moments? How do we deal with that grief, that heartache? Do you pick up the phone? Do you eat ice cream? Do you <laughs> surf the internet? Do you withdraw from people completely? How do you respond when grief hits you? How do you respond when grief hits the people you love? How do we respond in that? Today, I want to look at what Scripture has to say about this idea of grieving together, of mourning together, because I think it has something pretty profound to teach us about this idea. Uh, but first, would you pray with me? Let's pray this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. This is the day you've made, God. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And I pray, God, that today, as we hear the presentation of your word, that, that my heart would be moved. I pray that my heart would be moved to you, God. I pray that our hearts as a church would be moved to you. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and teach us what your word means today. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or you can turn it on to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And um, we're going to be starting in verse 17. Um, and just really quickly, um, I always, not always, most of the time I, I read from the New Living Translation. Now, there's nothing necessarily special about the New Living Translation. It's just... It's a thought-for-thought thought translation that's easy for me to understand, and so that's why I read from it. It's not better or worse than any other translations, but if you ever notice, like, oh, man, what Pastor Ryan's reading 
isn't the same as what's in my, you know, the same wording. That's why. It's just a different translation, New Living Translation. Um, It's not better or worse, just different. So anyways, John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. So Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, were also friends of Jesus. They sent word to Jesus, who's only a few miles away, which is only like a few miles away. That's a couple-hour walk, right, which is how they got around. They walked. Couple-hour walk. Took him four days to get there. So they sent word that Lazarus was sick, and Jesus said to his disciples, you know what, we're not going anywhere. We're just going to sit tight. Four days pass, Lazarus, die, or, you know, Lazarus dies, four days pass, they show up at Bethany, everybody's sad, right? Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, they're really sad. And um, in the Jewish culture, there's this mourning ritual called Shiva. Say that with me, say Shiva. Oh, say it like you mean it, Anchor Church, say Shiva. Shiva. Shiva is a seven-day ritual that begins immediately after the burial of, a de- of the deceased. This actually still happens to this day where the family of the deceased will just basically spend a week at home just mourning, just grieving, crying, or just sitting and thinking or whatever. And friends and relatives will come over and just sit with them and just grieve with them. This is, this is called Shiva, and it's still a thing that's practiced today. And this is what's going on here. Remember it said, many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. They're practicing Shiva here. That's what's going on. Um, that's what's going on here. So now I want to look at Uh, continue reading and and kind of see some of the responses. So verse 20, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who begin, believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. When I read this, I get the... I get the the vibe that Martha's kind of angry, like, where were you type thing? We sent word that, that Lazarus was sick, and you have the power to heal him. Where were you? You know, that kind of thing. She comes out, and she meets him, and I picture her being really angry. And the thing that's startling to me is Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Jesus doesn't, he's not, like, caught off guard. He meets her on her level. He, he, she's angry, where were you? And he has this intellectual conversation with her where he, he meets her where she's at and, and he starts reasoning with her. He starts like going logically through like these things that they believe, right? He meets her where she's at. Now let's check in with Martha's sister, Mary. Verse 28, then she returned to Mary. She, she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. 
When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leaving so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Mary and Martha were completely different, right? They responded completely different in their grief. Martha seemed angry, and she wanted answers, right? Where were you? You could have healed him. What's the deal? And, and Mary's, Mary's just sad. She's, she's crying. She's weeping. She fell at his feet, and she's totally distraught. And again, it's, it's amazing to me that, that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't like lash out. He, he, he meets her where she's at. He meets her where she's at. Deep emotion welled up within, within him, and he was deeply troubled because he saw that she was deeply troubled. The Son of God, the Messiah, right? God in the flesh is mourning with his friends. Verse 34, where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then the greatest memory verse of all time, Jesus wept. So you have the story of the friend of Jesus, Lazarus, who died. And his sisters are mourning. And the people who love them, they're mourning. And they have these interesting interactions with Jesus. And, and Martha, again, she seems kind of angry and wants answers. And Mary's just distraught. She's sad. And, and she just, she's openly weeping. And, and again, the amazing thing is that Jesus meets them where they're at. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't try to bring them up to his level, right? He meets them right where they're at. And he even cries with Mary, he cries with Mary. The Son of God, knowing what he's about to do, right? If you, you finish the story, he lays it, raises Lazarus from the dead. Like, he knows what he's about to do, but he still cries. He's still, like, deeply troubled because he understands something that I, I don't think a lot, of, a lot of us probably understand is we're supposed to mourn together. We're not supposed to let people mourn on their own. Like Jesus being the son of God, knowing he was about to raise Lazarus, still wept with his friends who were grieving. And I think to me, this is prescriptive for us, right? Uh, some, sometimes people talk about scripture being prescriptive or descriptive. Is it, is it describing a situation or is it prescribing us to act a certain way? I think this is prescriptive for us. We should see this and, and take it as an example that we should follow. We are supposed to mourn together. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep, right? In the first week of our relationship series, I talked about how we're tied together, and that means in every area. We're tied together in every area, including grief, including sorrow, including sadness. But grieving openly is difficult. Grieving openly is difficult. And now, when I say grieving openly, I'm not talking about like hopping on Facebook and like airing out all your business on Facebook to the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having two or three people that you really trust and can really be vulnerable with and like actually doing that, that, that's really difficult for us. It's difficult for me. I've seen it be difficult for other people. Like, it's, it's not an easy thing. 
and walking, walking through a period of mourning with someone else who has experienced loss can be awkward. What do I say? Am I going to say the wrong thing? What do they need to hear right now? Like, we, sometimes we have this tendency, like, to make mourning with other people weird because we want to make it better for them, but sometimes people don't need it to be made better. They just need to, they just need to be, you know? So, like, grieving openly is difficult. It's, 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 it's difficult. And it can be especially awkward in American Christian culture when, like, sadness and grief has been, like, communicated that those things are bad. Like, we're not supposed to be sad, right? We have the hope of Jesus, right? That's, that's like, some of the things that are said. But, like, we're human beings and we grieve. We're human beings. We experience loss. And, yes, we have the hope of Jesus, but we still grieve, let me, um, really quickly, let me, let me be your pastor for a second. I thought I was too, but just, just making sure. Giving an ill-timed gospel presentation in a time of grief is not helpful. Trying to, like, force pop-up joy in a time of sorrow is not helpful. Saying things like, well, everything happens for a reason doesn't help. Um, God works all things out for good. That's not helpful in times of sadness. Like, the, the heart is to want to help, but sometimes the way to help somebody is just to be in their grief with them, just to let them be and to be with them. Like, I've, I've seen... <laughs> So many well-intentioned Christians do harmful things to people who are grieving at, because, because we think grief is a bad thing. Grief is an emotion that every single one of us will experience or has, like, has experienced or will experience, and, and it's normal. Grief is an expression of our own sense of loss, and it's something that everybody will go through. So the best thing you can do for somebody who's grieving is, is just be with them. Just let them, let them, let them grieve and, and do it with them. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like the people who have no hope. I think people read this or people hear this and they interpret this as, we're not supposed to grieve. They, they, they read so you will not grieve and end the sentence there. Oh, we're not supposed to grieve. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying in this scripture. He's, he's saying, we as Christ followers who have the hope of glory after we die, we don't have to be sad for the fate of other Christ followers who pass away, right? That's what he's saying. He's not saying, don't grieve. He's saying, we don't have to worry about the fate, right? It's totally different totally different. Now, non-believers have every reason, right, to, to be scared because they don't have the hope. They, they have every reason to be worried. But we don't, have to, we don't have to grieve for the fate of Christ followers. That doesn't mean we don't grieve. That doesn't mean we don't grieve when a, a, a relative or a friend passes. That doesn't mean we don't grieve when we lose a job. It doesn't mean we don't grieve when we lose a relationship, or when that layoff comes, or when that diagnosis comes. It doesn't mean we don't experience grief. Grief is normal, and it's real. 
We don't grieve as those without hope, but we still grieve. Yes, joy comes in the morning, right? But sometimes morning doesn't dawn for a really long time. That's reality. Today, there are a few things I believe we need to know about our relationships with each other and mourning together as Christ followers. The first thing we have to know when mourning together is this. We can't isolate ourselves. We can't isolate ourselves. Now, I just said mourning together, and now I'm talking about not isolating ourselves. It kind of sounds like, well, duh, Ryan. But, like, it's easy to keep silent when you're suffering. It's easy to, to suffer alone. It's easy to, to shut yourself off from the world when tragedy strikes, right? When, when bad things happen, it's easy to kind of just separate yourself. But this is not the will of God for his children. This is not the will of God for his children. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. This scripture just made the claim that we fulfill God's law when we carry each other's burdens. And how can we carry each other's burdens when we isolate ourselves? How can somebody else help us carry our burden when we pull away? We have to. We have to stay connected, and we cannot isolate ourselves. Um, when I was 18 years old, I've shared this many times, I was a new Christian, and I was in Master's Commission. Master's Commission is a discipleship program um, for, for young adults. And uh, the, the thing, one of the things I loved about Master's Commission was that it, it taught us how to integrate our faith into everyday situations. It was so awesome. Well, unfortunately... Um, I had a, a real-life opportunity to learn this integrating faith into real-life situations when I was 18, a first year in the program. Um, one of my Master's Commission classmates got in a car accident, and she died instantly. And uh, now, just to kind of set it up really quickly, um, we all spent so much time together, and we all got so close so quickly that this rocked our entire team, right? Like, everybody there's 25 people in this master's commission it rocked everybody and um i remember that the day that she she died um we we found out the news the church leadership they canceled everything in our schedule for like three days straight and they created a space in the church for all like 25 of us just to be together and process together and grieve together and even like if someone needed to leave or wanted to leave, like church leadership made sure that at least two people went with that person um, because they understood something that I didn't understand at the time. We should not be isolated in our grief. We can't isolate ourselves in our grief. Now that might seem like a little much, like, oh, like they could, they let them have space, give them some privacy, but like, we have to carry each other's burdens. And yes, there's a time to be able to process on your own, but like for us in that moment, we didn't need alone time. We needed to be with each other. We needed each other so that we could lean on each other and we could carry each other's burdens. Like our leadership understood that. 
We can't isolate ourselves in our grief. We can't separate ourselves. We're made to carry each other's burden, and that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. And, and knowing this now, like we fulfill the law of Christ when we carry each other's burdens, makes sense to me why Jesus was always so upset with the Pharisees. He's always so upset with the Pharisees. Luke chapter 11, verse 46 says this. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. We're made to carry each other's burdens. And when we don't, when we don't, it, it actually indicates that we don't know Christ at all. We're made to carry each other's burdens. When, when I have something I, I'm going through, it's not, it shouldn't be a bother to my church family to like help me through that. Abraham, if you got something you're going through, it's not a burden to me that, that you like say, hey, Ryan, I need you, I need you to help me carry this. It's not, it's not a burden, right? Like we're made to carry each other's burdens. It fulfills the law of Christ. It has eternal significance. So that's the first thing we have to remember when mourning together. We cannot isolate ourselves. The second thing we need to, we need to remember when um, mourning together is, is this. We should pray together often. We should pray together often. Romans 15.30. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. Cliches offer little comfort in times of grief and mourning, right? I just, I kind of went through that a few minutes ago. Um, when we don't know what to say, we need to pray to the Holy Spirit to minister through us. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us the words. And we shouldn't lean on what we know. Um, in June 2008, you know what I'm talking about? June 2008, Robin and I broke up. <clears throat> um, now, we had dated for about 10 months up to that point, um, but in June, June 2008, I ended it, and I'm not going to get into why. You can talk to her later. She'll take three to four hours to tell you the full story, but um, I broke it off, and... Um, now, fast forward to January 2009, about eight months later, I realized, like, oh my gosh, I love this woman, and I want to share my life with her. I got to get her back. So, like, I share these, these feelings with a friend of mine who's, he's older, he's, he's, he's wiser, um, and he, he's a friend, but I, he's, he's, like, a mentor, too. And so, like, I ran it by him, like, hey, man, like, I know I broke up with her, like, this long ago, but, like, I still love her, and I, like, I want her back. So I'm going to go tell her. I'm going to go proclaim my love to her. And I'm, like, in grief, right, because I, like, think, like, I've lost my opportunity to be with her because I like I think like she's like moved on and all that so I'm like grieving I'm sad all this stuff I'm, like I'm gonna go tell her and he's like hold on don't do anything he said this he goes Let, let's take two months and let's pray about it I'm, like two months like I feel this now let's do this now you know like I'm, I'm wanting to move now but he's like hey let's take two months and let's pray about it together I'm, like 
okay, even though like I'm 24 at the time, two months seems like an eternity, right? But I'm like, I agreed because he's smarter than me and like he has more life experience. So like I trust him, right? So we take, we take this time, you know, I agreed, whatever to pray. And for the next two months, almost every day we met together, literally would meet together in person and we'd pray together, pray for Robin, we pray for my grief, for my heartache, we pray for my future kids, you know, whoever they were with. Like, we just took time together to pray together in my grief, in my sorrow. Now, he wasn't going through this, right? He's got an awesome life, and he's married, and, you know, whatever, all that stuff. But, like, I was grieving, and, and he joined me in my grief by praying with me through it. And not once through that whole time did I ever feel alone, like, like I was dealing with it alone because I knew my, my, my brother, he, he, he's not really my brother, but he's my brother, right? Like he was with me and, and that time bonded us together like nothing else could have because he shared my grief with me because he was praying with me through it. He's praying for me through it every single day. We were knit together. And just like the Roman church and the apostle Paul, my friend praying with me made him a part of my struggle. My friend praying with me constantly, consistently every day made him a part of my struggle. That's how it should be for us. Again, we shouldn't just be a bunch of individuals who are living our own separate lives that once a week we catch up. We should be consistently praying with each other because it, it brings us deeper into each other's lives. When we pray together, not only are we connecting with God, but we're strengthening the bond between us. Not only does this prayer like bring us closer to God, but it allows us to share our thoughts and feelings with each other in a safe environment. Right? It, prayer has a, a, a two-fold purpose, connecting with God and bonding us. It's powerful. When we mourn together, we should pray together often. So the first thing we have to remember when we're mourning together is we can't isolate ourselves. The second thing we have to remember when mourning together is we should pray together often. The third and final thing I want to talk about today, when mourning together, we have to remember. We have to remember 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 says, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. One of the most difficult realities for people who are grieving, for people who are mourning, is realizing that other people have forgotten the loss or other people have just moved on. That's difficult for somebody who's in grief. It's difficult for somebody who's in mourning. It's a tough one. Um, I've, been, I've been in ministry in some form or fashion for almost 20 years, but I've only, I've only uh, just like presided over my first funeral in 2019. Um, Julie was in my home group, and um, her dad passed away suddenly, like he just this heart complication arose and he was just gone. Um, and her dad and her mom, Julie's, Julie's dad and mom didn't really have like a church that they were plugged into. So Julie asked me if I would 
if I would officiate the funeral. And I, I agreed, you know, because I, I just wanted to serve. And, um, and it, was, it was cool. The, le- the, the week leading up to the funeral, the, I mean, the family was showered with phone calls and notes and meals and that kind of thing. And then the funeral came and went, and then everybody outside of the family went back to their normal lives. And Julie's mom, who had been married for over 50 years, is kind of left to take care of herself. Like, everybody forgot about her. And, and I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm not trying to say bad, anything bad about anybody else. But when you're not going through the grief, it's easy to forget that just because the funeral happens, that the grief doesn't stop. Just because you're not the one who didn't lose your job, like, like the grief doesn't stop when, you know, whatever. Like, it's easy when you're not the one going through the grief, going through the sorrow to forget like that, that those who are directly affected are still going to be going through it. They're still going to be grieving. So I realized this. I realized that, that nobody was like taking care of or asking Julie about how she was doing, how her mom was doing. And so I kind of made it my mission. I'm going to continually check in on Julie and continually check in on Julie's mom because I wanted them to know that I remembered. I didn't forget. I didn't forget that they're still grieving. And I would check in to see how she's handling the loss and how her, how her new normal is going at the moment because gr- grief like ebbs and flows, right? Like some, some days, like some days are good and you feel like, man, there's hope and I'm going to get through this. And some days are bad where you don't want to even get out of bed. Right. And so I would check in just to see how she's doing in that moment. And I would call or text and, um, cause I understood that the grief didn't just end. Right. When we're carrying each other's burdens and we're mourning and grieving together, it's so important to remember the people who are directly affected. It's so important. Even now, like, I'll periodically check in with, with Julie. Um, how, how are you doing? You know, because it's been, um, it's been almost three years. But I'll say this really quickly. There's a phrase out there that I completely disagree with, that time heals all wounds, right? I'm sure you've heard this. I completely disagree with it. Um, time does not heal. Time takes away the shock of the pain you feel. But sometimes the pain will remain forever. Um, I have, I have a, a pastor friend in Nebraska who his oldest daughter passed away in a car accident when she was 16. And that was over 20 years ago. I can't imagine that pain ever goes away of losing a child. The, the shock of the sting of the pain has gone away. Like, they've learned to accept it. But the pain of ha- not having their child is still there. It, it will probably be there until they, until they go to be with Jesus. We have to remember. We have to remember that just because we're not grieving anymore, just because we've moved on, doesn't mean those who are directly affected have. Some emotional wounds may never fully heal. If we're going to mourn together, we have to remember. Worship team, you can come to the platform. When it comes to grieving, when it comes to grieving and mourning together, we can't isolate ourselves. We should pray together often, and we have to remember.
We have to remember just because we move on doesn't mean the grief is gone. To be a Christ follower is to be connected with others, to be in relationship with the church. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Jesus did not simply call us to love God. He called us to be invested in one another as well. Remember what Jesus said? The world will know you're my disciples if you attend church every week. Is that what he said? Yeah. Boo to that. I mean, attend church, that's not what I'm saying, but that's not what Jesus said. The world will know you're my disciples by how much money you give. No. What'd you say, Gene? The world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other in all situations. What it means to be a disciple of Christ is to love God and love his people. And one of the ways we do that is by not pulling away when, when we're sad or in times of sorrow or grief or mourning. It's by diving in. It's by bringing other people into our grief with us. It's by inserting myself into somebody's situation when I know they're grieving. That might sound invasive, but like, hey, we're brothers and sisters. We're, we're connected, we're tied together, and this is the way God intended us to live life. He established the church, the church to be a place where believers would encourage one another, would provoke one another, challenge one another to good works. He established the church to be a place where we would bear one another's burdens. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. God, thank you that you don't want me to go through my junk alone. Thank you, God, that you don't want us to go through our junk on our own. You've put us together so that we can carry each other's burdens. God, I pray for anyone here who might be in a, a time of grief, who might be in a time of sorrow, I pray, God, first that you would comfort them by your Holy Spirit. You would give them peace that surpasses all understanding. But secondly, God, I pray that you would give them the courage, you'd give them the boldness to be able to reach out to their church family and pull people into their, their mourning with them. God, if there's any people here who, who know of people who are mourning, I pray, God, you would give them the, the courage and the boldness to jump feet first into that morning with that person, to let them know that they're not alone, to help them carry that burden. God, thank you that you've knit us together in this way. Holy Spirit, we want, we want what you want. We want your will to be done. And I pray, God, that your will would be done in us, in your church, in our relationships. Teach us what it means to fulfill the law of Christ by carrying each other's burdens. With, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, or, or maybe you did at one point and you've walked away for whatever reason, 
today could be the day where you come home to him. Today could be the day where you put aside all the junk and you stop trying to carry things on your own and you allow yourself to fall into the arms of the Savior and be surrounded by a community of Christ followers who loves you. Today could be the day where everything changes. If that's you, you don't know Jesus, but you want to, I want, I want to pray with you. If, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you want to, I'm going to ask you at the count of three to raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying with. There's nothing magical or special about raising your hand. You're just raising your hand so that I can identify you, so I can know who I'm praying with. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you right now, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, he's calling you to come home to him. Three, if that's you right now, raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Raise it high so I know who I'm praying with. What I want to do right now is I want to lead us in a prayer to receive Christ. And this isn't like the end, right? This prayer isn't the end. It's just, it's the beginning. But it's just a, a, a prayer to make a declaration that, that I want to live for Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to ask everyone in the house to repeat this prayer after me so that nobody feels singled out. Nobody feels like, like I'm picking on them or anything like that. But take this moment and let it be a personal moment between you and him. Repeat after me. Say, Father God, today I admit that I have fallen short of your standard. I am a sinner and I need you to save me. I believe Jesus died to free me from sin and I submit myself to you. Teach me how to be like you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up for those who maybe prayed that prayer today? That's so awesome. Hey, hey, and if you did, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ today, whether, whether um, you raised your hand or not, whether you raised your hand or not, but you, you want to receive Christ, we have resources for you in the back. Um, there's, in, in the info table, there, there's resources to kind of get you started in your relationship with God because I don't, I don't want anybody to feel like, like they're lost or wandering in their relationship. We want to get you started strong. If you're online and you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus, congratulations. That's awesome. I think you just made the best decision you'll ever make. Let us know if you did pray that prayer to receive Christ. We want to get resources in your hands somehow, whether we mail them to you or run them to you or wherever. We, we just want to get resources in your hands. We don't want you to do this alone. What we're going to do right now is um, we're going to spend some time responding to the Word of God and responding to the Spirit of God, but we're going to do something a little different today. Um, We're going to do something a little different today. The worship team is just going to play music. They're not going to sing. 
This is what I want to do. I want, uh, this might be a little uncomfortable, so it might be like stretch and grow time for some people. And I want to, I want to, I want to encourage you, don't leave too soon. Don't leave yet. Like, let's, let's be in this moment. Let's like be fully present and let's like participate in what God is going to do in this moment. This might be uncomfortable, but what I want to do is I want to split up into groups of three to four people and I want us to pray for each other. We should pray together often, so we need to put that into practice, I believe. And so the worship team is going to, they're, gonna, they're just going to play music in the background, but I want us to respond today by praying for each other. So really quickly, a few tips, a few tips that will help us in this moment. First, be honest with each other. Be honest. It doesn't really help if we're not honest, right? And, and being honest allows us to like, learn about each other and care about each other. So like, let's be, let's be honest. Um, make sure that everyone has a chance to pray out loud. I want you to hear yourself pray out loud. Again, might be really uncomfortable, but let's like stretch and grow. I want you to hear yourself pray out loud. Hear yourself talk to the Lord. And the last thing, pray for specific things. Pray for specific things. It's really easy to, to just to just say, yeah, you can just pray for, just pray for, just pray for work or just pray for my marriage. But like, let's pray for specific things and whatever's said in your little prayer group stays in that prayer group, okay? Like no one's gonna come report to me or anything like that. Like I want us to take this moment and put into practice that, that second thing that, to remember that we should pray together often. So right now, stand up with me. Stand up with me, and we're going to break up into groups of three to four people, and I want you to just spend a few minutes praying for each other. At the end, I will come back up. At the end, I will come back up, and I'll pray, and I'll dismiss us. But right now, let's pray with each other. Whatever you prayed for in your circle today, I want to encourage you, continue praying that for people. Continue praying that this week for, for the people you prayed with. Um, it does something to knit us together, to bond us when we pray for each other. So second, next up this week, I will memorize John 1335. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And this week, I will sign up for our home group, for a home group. Home groups are on ramp to community here at Anchor. If, if, if you're going to get plugged in, I believe with all my heart that it starts in home group. So if you're not in a home group, get plugged into one. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, God, that you have brought us together at this time in this place to be a family, a church family. And we just ask God for your grace. We ask for your mercy. And we just ask God that you would um, move mightily in each and every one of us. And finally, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen, 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 amen. Thanks so much for being here today, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.